Hello, and welcome back to the Wyoming Colorado Springs podcast. Today we have Eli and Sarah Zook sharing with us about the character and nature of God. So let's jump right in. Yeah, I just feel the jealousy of the Lord right now. I feel like he's saying he's knocking on the doors of hearts. And he's been knocking on the doors of hearts. And I feel his righteous jealousy. And I feel like he's saying with tears in his eyes, will you let me in? And I feel like where you've once heard the sound of him knocking and thought you heard his voice is angry. It's not angry at you. It's a jealous love. And he wants to come in and overwhelm and overtake and possess your heart in a way that you've never known possible. Because the world is not your portion. Shame is not your portion. Fear is not your portion. Isolation is not your portion. And I just feel like God is saying, oh, Sarah, tell them that I'm a jealous lover. And I don't care if they are my bride that they have prostituted themselves to other idols before. For like it says in Hosea, he continued to pursue his bride even though she went and prostituted herself. He said, pursue your bride again and again to represent my heart for my people. That even though I gave them everything that they had and then they went to other lovers and And they went to other idols and gave them the good things that I desired from them. He said, keep pursuing the bride until they get the revelation that I will not relent. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is knocking on the doors of hearts in this room. And I feel the kindness of God, yet the passion of God. And he's saying, I am a jealous lover. I'm not just a lover. I am a jealous God. I am a jealous lover. And where you've experienced the word jealousy in a negative term, this is the one true living God. And he's worthy of your heart. He's worthy of it all. And I felt like I couldn't go on by just saying, oh, yes, like Jesus loves you. He said, no, represent my jealous heart. And he won't stop knocking. In Revelation, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, let them open that I may come in. It says in his word, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. And I just feel like if those that might feel like, oh, it's impossible. I don't know how to soften my heart. I don't know how to open my heart. I'm intimidated. Good news. It's not you. It's him. It says that he will take a stubborn, hard heart and replace it with a tender and responsive heart. And if that's you, if you just say, I want a more tender, responsive heart. And and you don't have to do anything. God's the one who gives it. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. If today's the day that you're hearing his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you just see those people with hands raised, let's just surround them. Let's go after it as a community. Keep your hand raised. Don't be ashamed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that you know their hearts and you are not intimidated. I pray right now, God, that from their heads to their toes, that you would wash over them with living water. Right now, God, do it. Do it, God. I pray right now for your holy fire on their hearts. In Jesus' name. 
I command numbness to go in Jesus' name. I declare it is broken by the blood of Jesus, that it is a counterfeit of peace. And I pray right now, God, that like your river of living water would flow through them, your peace would wash over them right now, God. He's doing it. He's doing it. Receive it. Receive it. He's doing it. Rivers of living water will come bursting from your belly. And in this, he means the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's doing it. He's doing it. Whoa. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just begin to thank him. Thank him in faith. Say, thank you, Jesus. Everyone who's praying, come into the step, uh, like the place of faith that God has already done it and begin to praise God for his promises, that he gives a tender and responsive heart. We praise you, Jesus. Yeah, I pray that the damn wall of emotions that has, has been held back for years would be broken. And I feel like some of you need to, like, let that wall break. Let, you're, you might have to cry in front of everyone, but that's not what it's about. This is about you and Jesus. But I feel like for some of you, you need to let the dam break of those emotions that you've been holding back for even decades, some of you. And that God wants to make your heart responsive. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now for the breaking of the walls that have been holding them back, I pray that you would unlock their hearts to be responsive and tender to the love of God, to the joy of the Spirit, to the peace of God. We just right now, we pray for the Holy Spirit to come right now, descend upon this room in another measure. We pray for the glory of God to come right now, fresh anointing. Come in the name of Jesus. Let the dams break. Let your river run freely here. Let the dams break. Cause you're holy and you're here. Let the dams break. Let your river run freely here. Let the dams break. Cause you're holy and you're here. Jesus, Jesus. Dams are man-made structures to try to control the flow of a river. And the Holy Spirit says, you cannot put up a dam around me for protection or for control, but trust the river of living water. As a, y'all got the vision of marching, I heard Jehoshaphat. Anyone know the King Jehoshaphat, the story of him? Real quickly, I think for some of you, you actually might need to stay, keep being ministered to. If that's you, I want you to just maybe grab one of your staff and they can, you know, continue to pray with you. If you feel like it's, we something got opened up and it's, we can't just like always shut things down right away. So for some of you, you might need to actually grab maybe one of your staff, one of your, uh, uh, and just go pray somewhere else if that's like what the Lord's doing. I don't want to, yeah, interrupt that because, yeah, the, the Lord might need to continue to do something, so just going to say that, and then, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, Jehoshaphat, he was a king, and uh, he was about to go off to war, and they were going to lose according to numbers and strength, and they're like, we're basically walking into a suicide here. And uh, he inquired of the Lord, and he asked God, and he was like, God, give us this victory. Well, what Jehoshaphat did, because God said, I will give you the victory, He said at the front line of the army, what do you think he placed in the front line of the army? Any ideas? 
Chase sent worshipers. And he said, the front line of the army will be worshipers and dancers singing and playing instruments and giving praise to God for the victory we are walking into. And guess what? It says in scripture that the moment they began to worship, the moment they began to sing, God caused the enemy to turn on themselves. And by time that God's people arrived to the battlefield ready to fight, guess what happened? The enemy was already all dead. (laughs) And they got to go and see the victory that the Lord fought for them. So as you said, we're in a training ground, and we're getting ready to march. I heard the Lord saying, I'm teaching them to worship. I'm teaching them to worship. In Scripture, when it says, be still and know that I am God, he says, I will fight this battle for you. You need only be still. So even just now, I actually felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of me where he's saying, Sarah, you're not just singing a song. You're not just declaring words. You're commanding demons to flee in the name of Jesus. And guess what? It's working. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Why would you send a a team of worshipers to praise God for the victory when you're going into a battle that seems like you're going to be defeated? Because it's not your strength. It's God's strength. I feel like this flows into, I felt like I had a prophetic word over this entire room um, before we even started uh, the teaching this week, and I was just been waiting for the right time to share it, and I feel like right now is the time. But we're talking about recognizing God's voice, and I remember the first week of my DTS, I went, and God spoke to me through the verse Exodus 33, 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And two things with that, Exodus 33, 11, if you want to write it down. One of them is that God spoke like that of a friend. And I remember my first week of DTS, there was something that broke in my mind, this religious spirit in the context of hearing God. And all of a sudden, I realized that he wants to speak to me like a friend. Not like some worker, not like some slave, not like some less than you creation. He desires to speak to us like that of a friend. And I began to attach faith to the thoughts that God was speaking in my mind all day long. It was like I'm having conversation with God. And I didn't take three hours to think, was that one sentence from God? I knew his voice. I knew what the word said. And I knew what the Spirit was speaking. There was an acceleration in recognizing God's voice like that of a friend. And if he's done it before, he can do it again. I believe that some of you guys will have an acceleration of recognizing God's voice like that of a friend. Why? Because he can do it, not because we can. Does that make sense? But then a word I felt for the whole room. If you notice, it says, in this context, the tent of meeting was when the Israelites, they were led out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they were in the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. And there was a, a cloud by day that would lead them, like the presence of God that would lead them and actually shade them in the desert heat. 
And then there was a fire by night that would lead them and actually keep them warm in the cold desert nights. And they had this tent of meeting that they would, uh, as, as when the cloud fell or the fire fell, they knew that God wanted to rest there for a while. So they'd set up the tents. And this tent of meeting was where that Moses would go to uh, talk with God. And it says here that his young aide Joshua would linger in the tent. And Joshua was actually the future leader that would actually take all of the Israelites into the promised land. And I felt like God was saying that there are people in this room that will be assigned by God himself to lead peoples into a promised land. Lead others into the promises of God. Just a side note, I don't think it's a coincidence she's giving this word, but she had this word before this week, and then we find out, you know, there's so many Joshua's, Josh's in this school, and it's kind of become a running joke. I know, I know Asher put a bunch of the Josh's in one room or something funny, or I don't know, something happened, but anyways, I just think it's a, I think it's a, a really cool thing that, yeah, you not only, like, she's just giving this prophetic thing, but you guys actually have this thing over your school where there's, like, Joshua's. That's powerful, actually. Wow. So, yeah, I heard God say that there are people in this room. And um, contrary to popular opinion sometimes, prophetic words of the Lord spoken over people are actually conditional. What do I mean by that? God won't force you to do what he's asking you to do. He won't force you to do what he's inviting you into. So when there's a word of God over your life, you can receive it or reject it. Some things, if he wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. But ultimately, we look at the character and nature of God, and he extends that invitation and honors the free will that he gave us to step into the calling or the destiny or the purposes and plans over our life, right? Just uh, something out of that, yeah. Prophetic words are conditional, but promises are unconditional. Prophetic words are conditional, but promises are unconditional. And what I mean that is that, which, like she's saying, with a prophetic word, he's inviting us to step into his storyline, but that doesn't mean we necessarily have to. When he promises something, though, it means it will happen, and he, it, this is something that he's saying will come to pass. And so just wanted to make that clarification. Yeah. That's good. So good. But yeah, in this context, when I'm speaking over a room and I'm saying, I believe that the Lord has spoken, that there are people that he's going to call in this room to rise up as leaders and actually lead people into the promises of God, that right there is a uh, conditional thing. I saying, will you step into it? But I felt like God was saying, in order for this to happen, there's an essential season of lingering in the tent of meeting. Because Joshua was chosen and appointed by God to lead the people of God into the promised land because there was a group of spies who went in and they were intimidated at the size of the enemy and they said, we can't do this. But then he rose up and he said, who do you think your God is? And there was faith in him. Why? Because he knew who God was. How did he come to this revelation of knowing who God was? Was the season of lingering in the tent of meeting. Just like David, he was anointed as king when he was a shepherd boy. 
But even it took years before he actually stepped into the place of being king over the people. But there was an essential season of David learning how to minister to the heart of God when no one else was around. There was an essential season of worship in the presence of God when no one else was watching. What made him a great leader and a great king was because he knew God. And he had a season of lingering in the presence. The crazy part is, you know, in different seasons, God dwelled in different things. You know, he was in the tent, and then he was in the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and then he was in the temple. And so there's like all these different symbolisms, but he was actually contained to those, uh, was it buildings at, or boxes, tents, like everything. He was contained in those things. And then, Je- and then Jesus said, I want to send the Spirit to come dwell in us. And I just think, wow, how profound that he decided to leave the boxes and the tents and the, and the, and the temples. And he said, decided, I want to make you my temple. How much more intimate is that? And before, someone used to go in the Holy Holies, you know, there's like a string attached to their foot, and there was a bell and different things, because they would, sometimes if they weren't, didn't do all the purification rituals, they would go into the Holy of Holies and die. And I'm just like, dang, like, Lord, what kind of power? It's like, God's not like some kind of, uh, I don't know, theological, I don't know what he said, like, mystical power it's like a real real power like if i stuck a fork in an electrical socket there's real power behind that like that would be like if there's a reason why you know we have little kids we stick those little like uh uh, protector things over all the uh outlets because we know that there's real power there and the same with god he's like an outlet times you know 1000 you know it's like what kind of power does he carry he's just like and stars come out of his mouth I'm like, okay, like what kind of, you know, when you look at stars, you know, some of you guys are those science, science super science people, like, like the earth compared to the sun, right? It's super small. But then even the earth compared to other stars, it's like the earth is like just the tiniest little speck. And then you look at the earth in comparison and contrast to our galaxy, and you're like, oh my gosh. And you look at ourselves as in one individual on the earth. And then you look at our, our, our body, and you break it down to cells, atoms, protons, neutrons, uh, you know, electrons, and then electrons and all that stuff turns into quarks. And then from quarks, they're actually discovering that there's something more, which is what's crazy. They discovered that behind, by, below, past quarks, all they can really find is light and sound waves. And God spoke creation into existence. And what they say about sound, too, which is so crazy, if you take middle C on the piano and you speed it up thousands of octaves, it turns into light. And if you take light and slow it down, it turns into sound. Like, God is so intricate in the way. And then he says, yeah, that same God, the one that just goes, <sighs> stars, boosh. He's like, yeah, that's inside of you. He left the box, he left the tent, he left the, the temple, and now all of a sudden now he, we are the dwelling place for the mighty Lord. Wow. Dang. Dang. Uh, uh, I feel like my spirit could just groan on that one, you know, like, what? Did anyone fathom what Eli just said? It's crazy. God spoke us into existence. Side note, science goes hand in hand with the Bible and who God is. 
crazy. Yeah, why is it crazy if we took him at his word? Wild. Dang. Ah, how can I even go on? I don't even know how I can go on. I'm just like, Holy Spirit. You want to do something else? I'm just like. Dive into your prayer Hold on, let me just finish this then really quick. Okay, so Moses and Joshua, right? Prophetic word for the room. Okay, I want to paint a picture. God invited all the people to meet him on the mountain. But they were terrified, and they said, no, Moses, you go. We're afraid we'll die. (laughs) But God's original desire was to reveal himself to a people, right? But then it was established as priesthood that someone would go and represent so Moses went up and represented the people, and he beheld God when he was giving him the law, the commands. And when he came down to, to tell everyone what God said, it says that there, his face was white, and they were terrified. They were, like, scared because literally he was beholding God, and he looked different, and he came back down to relay the message of God that wasn't just for that one elite person. It was meant always to be heard from, by everyone. But there was, they were terrified. And then what happened was Moses put a veil over his face. And I used to think when I just read that um, in the Old Testament that it was because they were intimidated, probably couldn't pay attention. So he put a veil over his face. But something we realize is that if you read in 2 Corinthians 3, it actually says that he put a veil over his face so they wouldn't recognize that the glory faded. And Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's using this example of when Moses went to behold God and it changed him. He put a veil over his face so that they didn't know that the glory was fading. And then he said, through Jesus in this new covenant, the Lord who is the spirit made a way for all of us to behold him with an unveiled face being transformed into his image from glory to glory. But how do we actually get transformed into his image? How do we experience the ever-increasing glory of God? We behold him. We do not neglect the secret place. We do not neglect the lingering in the presence of God. We do not neglect worshiping him and feasting on him when no one else is around. But we behold him and we're made more like him. When the veil connected to the Old Testament, Moses' veil is removed. And it says in Romans 12 that we did not come to a kingdom, a mountain, where we're terrified and trembling to where if even we touch the rock we would die, but we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, where the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And I felt like God was saying, Sarah, call this room. So you guys might feel like I'm intense right now. I am. I have fear of the Lord. I feel like God was saying, call this room to stop consumer Christianity and go to the source. You want to see people's lives change through your life? Go to the source. You want to live a life that pleases God? Go to the source. You want the power of God to touch you and flow through you and to see signs and wonders and miracles and people sick, healed, the dead raised. 
eyes that are blind being opened and seen. These things we've seen, we've witnessed, but it's not because we've sat back in a conference or in a DTS and we said, oh yes, uh, give it to me, give it to me, and then neglected eating Jesus daily, taking him at his word and saying, I believe you. You guys, it's possible. Yes, I bless you, Holy Spirit, moving on the heart of your son right now. And I pray increase in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Remind me of your name again. You standing? Michael, I just saw this image of you uh, sitting down and breaking bread like communion. And you offering it to people who have never heard of Jesus. And you sharing the gospel through hospitality in a nation where you don't know the language. And you breaking this bread and there's a smile on your face and there's a glow in your eyes. And people are drawn and they're going to say, I've never seen this before. Why are you so happy? And I see you breaking the bread and saying, because Jesus broke his body for me. Because he shed his blood and it's the perfect sacrifice. And they're going to ask you, can we join in? Yeah, I just feel like as she was saying that, there's something that was already stirring in my heart. Is that uh, Jesus, uh, you know, stood before uh, thousands of people. They had seen multiplication of food. And this is happening. And then Jesus preaches this radical, wild message. And he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he goes on for like a good amount just talking about e eating of who he is. And they're like, this is blasphemous. How could anyone take in these words? Like how could anyone even agree with these words? Very offended. Like if you want to lose a following? Yeah, just do that. <laughs> um, so he, he uh, and they all leave. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, how about you? And they said, Lord, where else will we go for only you hold the words of life? And there's something so profound about this because it says that he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I'm like, Lord, what is your flesh? And it says in the scripture that Jesus is the word made flesh. And then Jesus says, man does not live by word alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. But then they said, only you hold the words of life. And so what, when we actually are consuming, we're talking about eating of the Lord. We're talking about actually and feasting on Jesus. We're talking about consuming him who is the word. Him who is the words of life. Him who can actually give us something that food can't. And so I just really feel this, like, uh, this excitement over like literally... Let's, I'm going to pray real quick. If you have your Bible, open it up. I just like, where, where to? Nothing specific. I just feel like open it up. And we're just going to, I'm going to pray over you. Some of you might need to place your hands on it. But I just want to just pray. Holy Spirit, activate the Bible in this school. Activate the word. Like that if there's like a spirit of slumber that was over me, that you'd break off sleepiness. God, or if there's, or there's things that are holding them back, maybe some of them are dyslexic like I was too, that dyslexia would be healed. I just pray that things like that that are hindering people from receiving from the Bible, that, would, that those things would be broken off today and that they'd be able to feast on you, Jesus. That the word would come alive. Yes, Jesus, the word would come alive. That they would see it. They'd be so hungry and thirsty. Like, only you have the words of life. 
Yes, I just thank you that the Bible hey, carries words of life to nourish each one of us. Each one of us. Yeah, and I, Lord, I thank you that the words of life, sometimes they feed us even though we don't realize in the mundane they still feed us. In the, in the normal, in the daily, it feeds us. Random question, how many of you guys maybe remember what you ate for breakfast four days ago? We got one person. Okay, how many people remember what you ate for breakfast uh, two weeks ago? Because she eats the same thing every day. I just realized why. <laughs> but I'm asking that question because most of us have no idea what we ate yesterday, no idea what we ate the day before. And the further you go back, it's not because those things didn't nourish us. It's not because they didn't carry, uh, uh, it's not because it wasn't important. They actually brought life to us, even though we don't remember it. They brought life to you, even though you don't remember what you ate. I even want to say this. It's sometimes it can be the same with the word. You're going to begin to consume things. and You're like, oh, I didn't really know if I got revelation from that. I'll tell you what. When, the, when you need that scripture most, God will pull it out of you. True. I don't even know I have all this scripture memorized, and it just comes out because I meditate in the secret place. And so I just want to speak to some of you that just begin to feast. Just begin to eat. It, I don't, I, you don't have to remember everything that you're reading. You don't have to fully, like, have it sink in 100%. I love chewing on verses. Like, I'll do that. Sometimes I'll just, like, meditate on one thing and sit on it for a while. But you, we don't always have to do that. I just want to encourage you. Some of you are being, you just begin to eat, and you'll watch your soul and your spirit begin to be nourished. Yeah. So good. Also, wait. It can't be everything that you want. Sometimes you need salt. Sometimes you need pepper. Let's take something like a BLT. You know, just plain watered-down lettuce by itself. That's it. No, what makes a, a good meal is, yes, you slap some mayonnaise on there too. But if you eat mayonnaise by itself, guys, we have to consume all of it together. Not just the parts we want. Not just the parts we desire, not the parts that just make us feel good. God wants to come and refine us, so we they begin to consume all of it, every single part of it, because that's what's actually going to bring true nourishment and refreshment yes. to you. Yes. Guys, there's an assignment in this generation against the Word of God. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is. So if the enemy's assignment is against the word of God, what do you think is going to be the greatest weapon for the victory of the harvest to come? The word of God. Crazy, right? Actually, even on this topic, I'm just reminded of it. The founder of YWAM, Lauren Cunningham, he had a vision, an open vision, um, in regards to Bibles and the injustice that people don't have Bibles. So uh, he uh, does End Bible Poverty Now, trying to translate the Bible into every language. Um, and he's really pushing for it. And on his 85th birthday, he felt a word of God saying, just like Joshua was 85 when he actually stepped into... Or Caleb, you're right, Caleb, thanks. Um, Caleb stepped into the promise and, like, went to battle, right? He was like, I don't want to sit back. Let me step forward and, like, do what I was always created to do. I, I've stayed healthy. I, I, I've readied myself for this moment. Let me, let, me, let me slay my giants. Don't count me out as an old man. Let, let me slay my giants. And so he felt like Lauren Cunningham when he was 85. He said, until my dying day, I'm going to push the word of God. Why? This guy is, like, so prophetic, y'all. And he's seen crazy miracles. 
He's seen wild stuff happen. But when he, he raised his own wife from the dead, like he's insane. And someone asked him, why don't you share more of those stories when you speak? And he said, because this generation, like, they, they're excited about that stuff. But they're Bible illiterate and they need the word of God. And we wonder why we're sick spiritually sometimes when we're feasting on the presence. We're feasting on signs, wonders, and miracles. And the sweet stuff, it's because we're just eating the sugar of the Bible. And we're neglecting the vegetables because it doesn't sit right with my appetite. Come on, Sarah, let's go. Come on. (laughs) More vegetables. (laughs) Put some sugar on that vegetable. No, thank you, Jesus. So, anyways, that was a side note, but... I feel like we just need to make a statement. Jesus has everything that you need. That thing that's told you that he's not enough and that you actually can need to go to other things to satisfy you, that's a lie. Just going to say it straight. It's a lie. He is enough for you. And he will satisfy your every need. He will satisfy your every need. I want, to think of, I want us all to think of one area where we go to for satisfaction outside of Jesus. Like, you know, like, oh, you know, let's, I've been binging what, you know, some show every day for the last month, or I did it in two weeks, or um, look at your screen time report, or like, I'll tell you what, your devotion can be seen through where you put your time. This is not like, I, I feel like she used to say it too. I need to say it too. It's the same thing. But I can tell. <laughs> We're not trying to be super religious and uh, critical and condemning. We're just trying to invite you and awaken our hearts to say there's so much more. And truth be told, you can't be mad at God if he chooses someone else to move through when you haven't spent any time with him. You can't. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you can't be uh, frustrated with God when he doesn't show up, when you don't actually know what he wants to do because you don't know him. <laughs> ah! Favor ain't fair, y'all. Just to say that. And Jesus loves all of us equally, but he actually has favor towards others more because he knows that they've been intimate with him. He, it's the same way. I'm not going to give you, hold on, hold on. I have a four, I have a four-year-old son. I have a four-year-old son, right? I'm not going to pass him a lighter and say, hey, good luck, bub. You know, burn yourself, hurt yourself. It's going to be great. Here you go. No, I'm not going to do that. And in the same way, if we're not intimate with him, as I develop and Malachi matures, as he grows up, as, I, as he spends, we spend more time together and I instruct him, all of a sudden I'm be like, hey, you ready to light this fire with me? You ready to start a bonfire right now and here right now in this place? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've already been trained in this. I know how to do it. I've spent so much time with my dad. I know I can do this on my own now. And in the same way, we want God to just give us all this stuff. But if the reality is, he, he, as we dive deeper into relationship with him, he can trust you with more. Yeah. He's a good dad. It's actually for your protection and it's for your benefit. If he gives you something that you're not ready for because you're, you weren't intimate with him, maybe you'll get a boastful, you'll get a puffed up head and you'll actually fall into sin because of pride. Yeah. 
or in the opposite, maybe false humility, discouragement. God is actually doing these things. It's for your benefit and it's for his benefit because he's saying, it's going to cost you everything. And really, at the end of the day, all I want is you. He's doing it because he wants you. He wants dependence upon him. Yeah. <laughs> and I also just felt, sorry, we're, I think we're throwing some salt right now. Are you guys okay with some salt? Okay, good. It brings out the flavor. Um, I, I feel like God just said, too, um, you can get saved and uh, walk with him for five years, let's say. Um, and then someone could get saved and then be passionately devoted in intimacy for just one year. And uh, you as a five-year-old think that you're more mature in the faith, even though you've neglected the secret place. And then you're like, God, this doesn't make sense. I've been walking with you for five years. Why don't I have an increase of anointing? Why don't I have an increase of understanding? And you look at other people and you begin to compare. But the truth is, is they, they put work in. They put time in. It's like there's a parable of 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come and they all have a lamp which uh which is the ministry in a sense like a sphere of influence they all have a lamp but there's five that store up oil and oil in scripture represents intimacy and history with god okay and then it says that they all fell asleep and then the bridegroom came they all woke up and the five with oil were able to light their lamps and the other five went to them and they said hey Give us some of your oil. And how they responded was, you have to buy your own. They said no. And so they actually went to go and try to buy their own oil. And then they went, came back. And by the time they came back, the bridegroom had already gone into the wedding feast and closed the door. And he said, I don't know you. You can have the, the image of a Christian, the title of a Christian. But truth be told... If you're not intimate and have a relationship with God, if you're not cultivating oil, I'm not talking about salvation, heaven, or hell right now. I'm talking about a relationship with God. If you're not cultivating oil, and then there comes a day when something is required or asked of you, and you, you're like, I, I, I don't know, I need someone else to help me because I've never actually learned how to do relationship with God on my own. I felt like God was saying even the Israelites in the desert, they were fed daily bread, manna. But they complained and grumbled about it. And they wanted their old thing. Yeah. I'm done playing Christian facades. I don't know about you guys. I'm done with plastic Barbie Christianity. Yeah. Like, just like, it's so fake. It's so plastic. Like, and everyone can tell. Like, I, like, guys... What if we just became the group and they decided to be a generation that was actually genuine lovers of Jesus, obsessed with who he is? <laughs> yes, God. Yes, and I th feel like for some of you, yes, it's, I want to mean is I'm done with Christian facades. False humility can be a Christian facade. False humility is still pride. It's just in the reverse. You're saying, God, I'm not going to do what I know I'm supposed to do, even though because I want to perce be perceived a certain way, which is pride. I don't want to, I feel like I want to dance for you. I feel like I want to do these things for you, but I'm not going to do it because I hate looking like a fool. Jesus told me that uh, we love calling, you know, things fear of man because we like, uh, I don't know, it sounds nicer. Oh, I'm just afraid of people. And I talked to the Lord about it one day. He said, Eli, it's not fear of man, it's pride. 
because you're all concerned about what you think, how others will perceive you, what they'll think about you. That has nothing to do with anyone else. It's not fear of other people. It's all about you and how you'll be perceived. It is pride that you need to take care of. Was I chasing?